how do we create that workplace where everyone can walk in, feel welcome, feel that they can stay there, that they can have a job that supports them and their families and creates a good life for them. And so for us, it really is about kind of going back to the, the start of that. And then hear women who are in the forestry sector talk about, you know, how do we attract other women in, right? How did they go to other women and say, hey, this is a really great place to work. You should come and work here. Free to Grow in Forestry, a podcast working to move forestry forward. For our 20th episode, we are pleased to be joined by our host, Kelly Cooper, president and founder of the Center for Social Intelligence, and our guest, Tracy Ramsey, director of women's department at Unifor. As a grassroots activist with a strong focus on social justice, Tracy discusses her role in working with women and the value and impact that unions have on workplace culture and diversity. Tracy also shares how education and asking the right questions can be essential to attracting more diversity in the forest sector and what it means to have an inclusive workplace. This session was recorded live on October 19th 2023. Hello, everyone. My name is Kelly Cooper, and I am the president of the Center for Social Intelligence and the host for the Free to Grow in Forestry podcast. This podcast provides an opportunity to have candid conversations about issues related to diversity, equity, and inclusion, many of which have not been fully explored in the forest sector, allowing us to increase our awareness and understanding about the social dynamics that are in play in our society today. With this increased awareness, we hope to create new openness, patience, and appreciation for the various strengths and perspectives that exist in our workplace, allowing us to spur on greater innovation and improve our workplace culture. There's a lot of talk in the news these days about Unifor and many unions are going on strike. People are not able to make ends meet with the cost of inflation and are feeling they have no other choice but to take a stand, especially with so many companies making high profits. The contrast between management salaries and profits and the salaries that are made in frontline or mid-level jobs is just too great for people to not speak up. But what is specifically happening in the forest sector? And more specifically, what is Unifor doing to help create inclusive workplace cultures? Today, I'm joined by Tracy Ramsey, Director of the Women's Department at Unifor, who's going to help us unpack these questions and more. Thanks for being with us today, Tracy. Thanks for having me. Okay, so how about we start with you introducing yourself and sharing with our listeners what you do as a Director of the Women's Department at Unifor. Absolutely. That's my favorite thing to do, talk about the work I do. I always say that I have the best job in the union because I work with women all day, every day. Um, We are, you know, the largest private sector union in Canada. We've got 315,000 members, 22,100 that are in forestry, um, but we've got 118,000 women across every single uh, sector in the economy. So my job really focuses around supporting them in their workplace when they have issues that come up, whether it be, uh, you know, harassment or that they're looking to improve policies. if they're looking for contract gains, all the way to education, right? We have an education facility in Port Elgin, Ontario, where we offer a host of women's programs in a 40-hour format. So we uh, try to educate uh, women as much as we can on uh, many issues like health and safety, collective bargaining, women in leadership, uh, women being active in the union. And of course, we have kind of our jewel of our women's department, which is the Women's Advocate Program. And we have 576 women's advocates across the country 
who work in individual bargaining units and support their members when they're facing domestic violence, when they're facing issues in the workplace. It's a recognized program by the United Nations, and we're very proud of the work that our members do. Um, so that's a bit of a snapshot of what I do. But uh, people always say to me, you know, where's your office? And uh, our head office is in Toronto. But I always say that my office is wherever the women are, because they call me up and they want me, you know, to come to them, right? And uh, whether it's in their workplace or in their locals, really, we're just here to to support them in any way we can. Wow, that is way more than I was expecting to hear. That is amazing. It sounds like there's a lot of various hats you wear, but it's such a critical role for women. Mm-hmm. Well, we're excited to see that Unifor has signed on to the Free to Grow and Forestry Declaration of Intent, and that's signaling a commitment to making inclusive workplace cultures a priority. So can you share with us what Unifor is currently doing to create inclusive workplace cultures? Yeah, this is really a core principle of ours, right? We are striving to have our workplaces be reflective of the communities that we live in. That means that everyone is working inside the workplace and not just kind of what we see replicated through lots of different hiring practices where we end up kind of just having the same membership and largely male in a lot of our sectors because, you know, when an opportunity comes up in the workplace, it's often handed down to someone's son or their brother or, you know, a male member of their family. So we've been working very, very hard on employment equity, trying to uh, interact intervene in that hiring practice and be, you know, part of that solution for the employers that we work with. But for us, it really is kind of the air we live and breathe. Uh, We have many education programs that support uh, human rights within our union. Uh, We have a Black Indigenous worker of color community. Uh, We obviously have our women's community, but we uh, have a very strong LGBTQ2S plus group that within our union who meet. We have workers with disabilities. Uh, You kind of name the equity-seeking group, and we are striving to educate, improve conditions in the workplace, make sure that there's equity inside of the workplace, but also more broadly in our communities. And I think this is something that's unique that unions do that don't just want for our members uh, all of these things. We actually want them for everyone. And so we work a lot with community partners to achieve this and to try to support them in the work they do as well, because uh, we recognize that those are potentially future members of ours, um, Mm. but also that when, when unions are able to bargain really strong collective agreements that include things around you know, inclusion that are about equity, then we see that kind of ripple out into the community, right? We see often see legislation follow, we often see, which we're a part of, we're a very political body, uh, you know, pushing for workers' rights and pushing most definitely for inclusive workplaces. The culture is a different thing, right? The culture is something uh, that is constantly something that we're working on improving through that education, through policies that we're able to create in our workplaces, through at the bargaining table, like I said, you know, it is something that we continually strive to improve and change uh, and recognize that it's a bit of a moving, living thing, right? A, A culture of a workplace. And so for us, sometimes even just naming it, and saying that this is what we see happening in this particular sector, you know, kind of puts people, you know, on notice that we're paying attention. Mm -hmm. Uh, We see that there aren't a lot of women in the workplace. We see that there aren't a a lot of Black, Indigenous workers of color in the workplace or LGBTQ. We we see this, right? So I think sometimes just even naming it starts the conversation. And we have a lot of incredible activists in our union who do this work and do it, quite frankly, on top of their full-time jobs. Mm -hmm. Uh, We have in our locals, we have committee structures that exist where folks can plug in and be part of a committee where they're pushing for these changes uh, within their own local. We have councils, like we have a a very strong forestry council where they do this work together collectively with all of the locals across the country. So all the way to the top of our union um, for our president, Lana Payne, who is the first woman president that we've ever had. We really are striving to make equity part of everything that we do. 
And so this forestry council you just referred to, so I have two questions out of that. What is that all about and how how is it formed in terms of governance? And then the education that you offer, the training that you offer, is that mandatory? Well, I'll start with the council. So the council is a democratically elected body, right, from all of the locals or, or units, I should say. I mean, we have, you know, the 22,100 members that are in forestry, but we have 282 bargaining units that that represents. So, you know, there's a process where people become delegates to a council, and then they will come together and meet. There's an executive of the council. They have, you know, their own mandate that they kind of create and, and work on, which is often around uh, workers' rights, uh, you know, trying to obviously we have a you know a couple of issues right now in Espanola we have you know Dontar that's going to be going down with 350 members there so that will be a focus of the council out here in BC we have Crofton um, so whenever we have kind of workplace things that are happening within the forestry sector that council will be the go-to folks to represent those members at the national level and then you know we have an, a research department a legal department kind of all these support systems and then to the education so the education isn't mandatory um, we've been able to bargain into our collective agreement, something called a paid education leave uh, that okay. supports folks on kind of a credit basis uh, that they're able to go and attend courses in Port Elgin. We also offer regional schools because as you can imagine even in forestry, lots of remote rural communities where folks can't get to, you know, Ontario, um, we actually go out to them, right? We'll provide that education in their locals. Uh, and that can span a whole host of things. It can be what we consider to be kind of tools courses that are things like collective bargaining or grievance or arbitration, right into all of our kind of equity spaces, which are human rights, women's activists, uh, Black, Indigenous, worker of color. So we kind of have, I want to say we're close, we must be over 100 courses that we offer, to be quite honest. And we fill our facility every week and then are out as I say, in, in the communities doing that. So the Forestry Council would really look towards like what is needed. Right now, our union is very focused on mental health. I'm out in BC right now, and we have two courses that are being offered. They're each a one day, and it is called Mental Health Matters. This is something that we recognize, you know, especially when we see people being downsized or, you know, having uh, curtailments where their plants are down for a bit. There is a major mental health component to our membership and being able to, uh, you know, go through that process and, and come out on the other side and be strong and safe is really important to us as a union. So our education is something we call it the heart of the union, <laughs> our education, yeah. because we believe so strongly in it. But, you know, folks can engage as they wish. And so some people go and take lots of education. And, you know, sometimes it's part of their leadership journey that they do so. Um, but others, they just have a passion for human rights and, you know, for particular issues that speak to them. And so they go in and pursue that through education. Yeah, I would think, though, with the inclusive workplace culture focus, you would have to bring people into that training that may not voluntarily choose to take that training. So how do you manage that situation? Sometimes that's the case. Uh, I'm a former discussion leader, which is what we call our facilitators uh, in the union. Um, we really believe in peer facilitation. And so it is sometimes the case that there have been issues in the workplace uh, where we need to go in and have a building respectful workplace education that's provided. And sometimes in that space, it's management included um, because we recognize that, you know, that partnership in creating that safe workplace for everyone that's harassment free, uh, we don't do that in isolation, right? We do that together. And so that's an important focus of ours as well. 
And, you know, I think that we really do try to get people educated who are maybe even sometimes unfortunately perpetrating this in the workplace, right? That, hey, I think human rights would be a great course for you. You know, if you're exhibiting some sexist behavior in the workplace, that's not okay. Uh, We want to address that with policies that we have and all the tools we have in our collective agreements. But we also want to educate our members because I can tell you that, you know, there's nothing like seeing someone's eyes open and realize kind of all the things that they've thought and believed or, or maybe even never thought of, right, in their whole lives, you know, that when they're faced with kind of the truth or having conversations about what that actually looks like and what it actually means. You can see people grow, right? And, yeah, and really yeah. change. The they're taking, they're yeah. making. And then that's not just about the workplace, right? That becomes about their personal lives and, you know, all of their relationships that they have. So, you know, it's, it's really amazing when you can see that growth within our members. That's good. Well, people often have mixed emotions about unions and some think that you aren't managing your company properly if you have to have a union, while others think unions are critical to ensure workers' rights and needs are addressed. So given this context, what are some of the challenges you faced at Unifor with ensuring there is an inclusive workplace culture? I mean, I think that we have new members that are coming in all the time, right? And it's always fascinating to me to spend time with new members who have worked in environments that aren't unionized, then they decide to join the union, right? And the changes that they're able to see take place in building that respectful workplace and a workplace that's inclusive, uh, that's free from harassment. You know, all of these things are pieces why people seek out a unionization. It's not simply because they want more pay, they want better benefits, they want pensions, they all everybody wants that we want that for all workers. But that's not the only thing that they're looking for. And lots of newly unionized workplaces in our union that come to us, it is about that respect. It is about, you know, having anti harassment policies and things in place that protect workers. So we do a lot to make sure that we ensure that we're creating that type of workplace culture. And it is something really amazing that you get to do when it is a new certification and a new unit, because you're building that from scratch. You know, I just heard uh, from a president here in BC on her, you know, negotiating that she's doing. She's not in the forestry sector. She's in the aerospace sector. But, you know, what they've been able to achieve, right, in their sector and for their members has been incredible through the union and through the tools that we have. And I think that, you know, this perception of unions only being needed if things are toxic or not working well isn't the case either. You know, I I always like to say that our employers have contracts with everyone. They have contracts with the people who provide us toilet paper inside the workplace. Like every single thing that they do is transactional in a contract. So why shouldn't that be for workers as well, right? And and what I've seen on the flip side is that management and people who work uh, for the employer also have then a clear set of rules, a clear set of guidelines. They also, you know, can function better in that space where they know and understand what the rights of the workers are, and they know and understand what their rights and obligations are. So I think sometimes it's just a whole lot of clarity. And then obviously, there's that collective power, you know, which we love, because, you know, when you sit down as an individual, and you know, I remember like 27 and a half years ago, before I worked for the union and worked for Ford Motor Company at the time, you know, sitting in front of an employer asking for an increase, asking for more benefits, you know, looking for a little more vacation, you know, and it's very tough to do on your own, right. And so collectively, there's just a whole lot of power behind that and and being able to come together and push for better and and being treated fairly, like you said earlier, you know, we we see what's happening in the country. And, uh, you know, CEOs are certainly making incredible percentages of increases year over year. And so, you know, workers who help to get them to that level also deserve their fair share of that. Mm -hmm, For sure. Do you have any examples from the forest sector that you could share about how you've overcome some of the challenges? 
I would say that it's tough in the forestry sector because, you know, we're, again, mostly talking about a male-dominated sector. Um, You know, we have some really incredible women in the sector who we've been working with and talking to and about how we can attract more women into the sector, how obviously in rural and remote communities, we've got Indigenous communities, how we can have a real partnership with them uh, and have them as well in these good paying jobs uh, near the communities that they live in too. So, you know, I think for us, like that's the focus, right? How do we improve? that employment equity so that as people are coming in the door, they're able to be part of workplaces where they do have good pay and benefits, pensions, all the things that we feel that workers deserve. And often when you're talking about rural communities, this is the employer right? This is the employer in that community. You know, getting a job there is like, in in some ways, hitting the jackpot, right? Because this is, you know, has largely been stable. We see some instability, of course, you know, and things that have been happening. And, you know, we also, our council works towards that, you know, things like the software lumber, like all of the things that are policy pieces as well, our council works towards, but also to how do we create that workplace where everyone can walk in, feel welcome, feel that they can stay there, that they can have a job that supports them and their families and creates a good life for them. And so for us, it really is about kind of going back to the the start of that. And then hear women who are in the forestry sector talk about, you know, how do we attract other women in, right? How did they go to other women and say, hey, this is a really great place to work. You should come and work here, right? So they're really working internally to do that and not on their own. We have some fantastic brothers, as we call them in the union movement, you know, who are supporting that and, and want to see more women and want to see more inclusivity into the sector as well. So we just truly support them in those efforts and are looking at ways that we can make sure that as people enter into the workforce, at this point in time, it is a situation where a lot of employers are looking for workers, right, to come in. So, you know, for employers, a great way to be able to attract workers is to talk about, okay, we have policies around anti-harassment. We have a women's advocate. We have a racial justice advocate. We have these things that to someone who is from the outside looking in says, wow, that's a place I'd like to work. Exactly. Right? And so for us in the union, we want that for our members, but we also want to help create that for the generations to come in the sector. Yeah, exactly. And you're touching upon something we address in the Free to Grow in Forestry inclusive leadership training modules that we're in the process of building and will be available in the spring. But it's about the two aspects of how do you attract them with the kinds of things you're talking about? And then how do you retain them? Yes. Right. And those are two different things. But equally important, because what we find in the forest sector is that 50% uh, who graduate are female, 50 are male, right? But so we can get them in, but where we where we struggle, it seems, is to retain. So within the first five years, the statistics show that women often leave the forest sector. So the question is, well, why? You know, and then how do we address those challenges so that they stay? Um, so what would you tell the management side of the ledger about how best to deal with unions in the forest sector on diversity, equity, and inclusion? Well, what I would say is that, you know, first of all, from an employer perspective, like they're legally obligated to have a harassment-free workplace, to have a safe workplace for members. And that kind of goes hand in hand, right? Trying to entice folks into the workplace and say that this is part of our culture here. It is also about when things happen in the workplace, that they're taken seriously, right? That they're addressed. You know, one of the number one things that we hear from our members is that, 
that, and this is this is back to culture, right? The culture of the the workplace. You know, we can have all the policies in place. We can have things that on the surface look really great and think that things will be addressed. But if they aren't, if they aren't handled properly, if they aren't taken seriously, and if management isn't trained in basically understanding the importance of having a harassment-free workplace and recognizing how to create an inclusive workplace culture, like what does that mean? I, I feel like it's this very buzzwordy thing where what it really means is that if something happens in that workplace that it's taken seriously, that it's handled properly with as much justice as can be achieved, it's never a perfect formula, but that when workers know that when they go to management and they say to management, this has happened, and as a worker, if you know that that is going to be taken seriously and that they are going to work towards some type of justice around that issue, then that creates that confidence and that's the culture shift that we need, right? Mm -hmm. the, the reason why our members and other workers don't go to management is because they don't believe that management takes it seriously. They think that it's something that they feel they have to say and do, but not something that they do in practice. And so when these things start to connect and align is when we will see, I think, that true culture change, right? That we can say with confidence that this is an inclusive workplace. And it's not about policies on papers. It's yeah. about making sure that you follow through. So I think it's a big challenge. I, I recognize that. It's, it's a challenge for us. It's a challenge for employers. But again, you know, we are there to help support that. We want safe workplaces for our members. And, you know, I think that we have a lot of a lot to bring to the table in terms of the education we offer, the policies, uh, what we've been able to achieve in other collective agreements around this employment equity. You know, I think that uh, working together on these things is really how we're going to create that culture shift. To me, when I hear you speak like that, I, the word that comes to mind is accountability. And so when you're dealing with management who may not take things seriously, and they say, well, we have this policy. How do you ensure that they are accountable for following through on the policies that they have? This is the challenge. I mean, legally, you know, we have some legislation, obviously, that supports, you know, harassment free workplaces that says that they have to be free from violence, they have to be free from from a whole host of things. But how do we hold employers accountable is for us largely at the bargaining table, sometimes through the grievance process, it's kind of accessing the things that we have in our collective agreement to be able to do so. But it's frustrating, because if you have uh, management, I feel that every workplace has these kind of folks who they know don't actually believe in it. They they know don't actually support it. And so they play this little shuffle game with them, right? Where when something happens in one area, okay, we're going to move this individual over here. And for us, what we talked about earlier, you know, as a union, what we do is we say, okay, you know, this individual is, you know, having some issues. There's an education piece, there's follow-up, there's supports that exist in our reps and in our locals. The same needs to happen on the management side. You know, they need to hold their staff, I guess, accountable as well. And, you know, I think that in Maybe perhaps even in these small communities, it is a bit more of, you know, that they they know each other, they live near each other, their kids are friends, this guy's a good guy, he just said this, he doesn't mean it, I know him, like, there's all these kind of hiding places and things that happen. And when that starts to get busted apart, and there is a true culture of no, it's not okay. That accountability, I think that's when we'll start to see that people feel confident in that process. Yeah. It's true. You want the confidence in the process. And and I think there, to your points, there's carrots and there's sticks, right? So they're kind of the, 
two sides of the same coin. You're like, okay, we have these policies, you, you know, these are your carrots, you know, these are the things that you know you should do. However, if you don't do them, we're going to have, you have the backing of the grievance process and other things as your sticks, I guess, to, to drive home the message in a way that makes the point that they can't ignore it. Yeah. And also, you know, we're trying to reinforce in the union, you know, locals in particular that are doing this well. So if you are an equity champion, right? How do we tell your story? Like if there's another local who's saying, well, we're struggling to get women into our leadership. We're struggling to get black indigenous workers of color in our leadership, but here's a local who's doing it really, really well. So Mm -hmm. what have they done? What created that culture over there? Instead of kind of, you know, being harsh on the ones who aren't able to achieve it, how can we kind of spotlight the ones who are doing really, really well and try to kind of transfer some of that into uh, the others as well? So this goes across sectors, it goes across locals, it goes across everything. And this has really been like a recent focus of ours. And um, we've got the the 75th anniversary of the Declaration of Human Rights is coming up in December. And so our union's going to mark this by doing exactly this. We're going to look for those equity champions, right? And start to really tell their stories and perhaps a bit of a path for others on how they can do better. Yeah, that sounds great. Sounds great. So we talked earlier about what you would tell management side on how best to deal with the unions in the forest sector on DEI. How about now you share with us what you think you would tell those who are actually in the unions? I I would say that, you know, for folks that are in the unions, again, it's about educating themselves, right? This is always my go to with people if people are really, you know, challenged about how this is how the workplace is changing, or what it looks like, or, you know, sometimes they're feeling threatened by that, right? Like an inclusive workforce, you know, to everyone isn't like something to champion and be excited about it is to me, um, but perhaps not to everyone. And, And that's true in unions as well. And so it's about, you know, sitting down with them and saying, okay, first of all, let's get some education on why this is really important. And second of all, you know, let's get into your membership. Let's talk to your membership about this. And it's about that culture, right? Each local, each union has a culture. I'm proud to be part of Unifor because our culture is very strong on this, but we continue this work in in many different sectors, many different locals. It's ongoing and it's never done. This is the thing about doing this work. You're never done. You you never can say, oh, We've achieved it. Everything's, you know, fantastic now. There's always, always work to be done. There are always challenges that are coming up. And I also think that it's about, you know, being understanding of people and, you know, where they're coming to you because they come where where they're at and where they're at in their lives and, you know, where they're at in their, however old they are, however young they are, um, you know, they come to you where they're at in their experiences. And so I think that being kind, which maybe, yeah, empathetic to them and guiding them in that education journey, you know, in in a bit of a softer way, right? Not whack. I always say we can't go whack people over the head, you know, like that's not going to work. There's going to be very powerful resistance to that, right? They don't want to hear you're being sexist, you're being homophobic, you're being racist. Like, yeah, Yeah. those things to people just, you know, you see the walls go up, right? As soon as you, you start to do that. But when you start to say like, hey, you know, this is the kind of behavior we're talking about. Have you seen this kind of behavior? Because this is what we're talking about. You know, you can get to people, I think, in a way that's more relatable. Again, like that change of people. So unions are doing a really great job, but we we have so much work to do. You know, the work just continues and it'll be done beyond my lifetime here in the union and, and beyond. And I'm excited. 
excited, though, about the fact that this is being talked about, that you're talking about it, that sectors that have not traditionally talked about this are talking about this. And, you know, we have lots of really heavily male dominated sectors in in the union, very white, very male, and lots of work to do. So even just having the conversation seems significant in some of those spaces. It's the first time they've ever had that conversation. It's the first time someone's ever said something out loud that they've all known for a long time, right? Mm -hmm. And so, you know, it's about just starting that and continuing that work. So for unions, we we just continue and we partner with a lot of organizations out in the community. They're doing really fabulous work. Um, We support them, right? We show up for them. We make sure that, you know, we're not just there saying, okay, we'll provide you with some funding because you've got a great project, but actually that when push comes to shove and things are being challenged out in the broader community, that we're on the forefront of that and that we're standing up for human rights in a way that, you know, really matters and really counts. So I see this in unions and I see it across many different unions, not just Unifor, that's for sure. Uh, Lots of unions in Canada are really leading the way, but with the understanding that our workplaces are the same workplaces that our employers are in. And so our members are all over in their journey on improving workplace culture, being more inclusive, being more accepting of that. And so we just continue that work. That's great. And, you know, I was so excited to meet you, Tracy, when uh, I reached out and uh, we we connected. I found out about a women's program. I didn't even know that existed. So that was really <laughs> exciting to learn. And and uh, you're just a wealth of information and a fountain of information for us to all sort of soak in what's going on there from Unifor's perspective. So really appreciate you taking time with us. Before we say goodbye, I wondered if you had any resources or links that you'd like to share with the listeners that can help them learn more about what you've shared with us today. Should they want to get in touch? Yeah, I can definitely share some of the things from our national website, you know, unifor.org. We have a lot of forestry information on there. We have updates, we have news, things that are happening in the forestry sector. And so really happy to share that as well. And then to be able to plug into the work that's being done in our country, but also even beyond that, you know, we work with United Nations Commission on the Status of Women, go with women every March to New York from around the globe to talk about how we can improve this and what it looks like. And, you know, life is very different for folks in the global south than it is for us here in North America. But the world is pretty small. And when you get a lot of women together, our stories are so similar, right? We have so much in common. And that's true of our members from coast to coast to coast. So happy to share, you know, those links with you on the work that Unifor continues to do. And you'll see you will find us signing on to uh, the free to grow there. You know, we're very proud of that. And we've been sharing that as well throughout our union. So thank you so much, Kelly, for uh, making the time for me today. Yeah, no, this has been great. And just to your point about the United Nations, that's what Canada's becoming. It's a little mini United Nations. Yes, (laughs) yes. So I used to work on the UN file many moons ago, but so I used to attend all those meetings in New York too. And it's exciting to see things from that perspective. And to your point about we all share very similar things in our work experiences when we get together. And at the bottom line is that we're we're human beings, deserve respect and, and a respectful workplace. So thanks for bringing that into the conversation as well. Absolutely. One last thing I want to mention too, is that we just launched an equity fund in our union. And okay. so this fund is national fund that we have where we're going to 
support projects on the ground. And anyone in an equity-seeking group, anything that they're looking to do in their community, they're looking to do within their local or their workplace. Um, so we're really proud of this and it will offer some support to people that are doing that grassroots work because what we find is that a lot of our members have fabulous ideas and things that they want to do and that we want to support, but we also want to empower them to do that, right? Instead oh, of the, the national kind of coming in and, and swooping in, we want we want them to lead and drive it. So we're really excited about the new equity fund and you can find information about that on our website as well. Well, I'm glad you raised that. That's an important thing for everyone to hear. Okay, well, thanks very much. And I, I appreciate your time and uh, we'll look forward to staying in touch. Great, thank you so much. Take care. Gender, diversity, and inclusion are crucial to the advancement of a thriving and resilient forest sector. As we continue to grow and change, we all have a role to play in making our sector a place where everyone has the support they need to succeed and thrive. For more information on how you can take action and help make a difference, follow Free to Grow in Forestry on social media or visit us at www.freetogrowinforestry.ca. And if you have a story you think should be heard about an experience you have had or what you would like to see happen in the Canadian forest sector workforce, we'd love to hear from you. Please email us at info at freetogrowinforestry.ca. Together, we can move forestry forward.